Good morning, Grace Church. We're in Romans chapter 8 today. I want to start with a question. How secure are you in your relationship with Jesus? How secure are you in your relationship with Jesus, and what is that security based upon? What are you basing that security on? How, basically, how secure or insecure are you in Christ? Now, it's really common in life to be insecure about our position, our standing, even relationships. We worry about uh, being rejected or being cast aside. That's normal for us to think this way. But what if you could have unwavering security in your relationship with Christ and also solid footing that doesn't budge, that doesn't move as you go through your life now awaiting heaven? And what if it wasn't just possible, but it was promised and it was already provided for you by God? You know, we are we're the most connected people that have ever lived. We're the most, you know, informed people that have ever lived. We, we have the most resources at our fingertips, but we are also the most insecure people that have ever lived. Someone wrote a book called The Insecure American, How We Got Here and What We Should Do About It. And in that book, they said, Americans are feeling insecure, that they're retreating to safer communities in record numbers. Fearing for their jobs, nervous about health insurance and debt levels, worrying about terror attacks and immigrants. But our problem isn't economic, it's not political, it's not relational. Our problem is spiritual. Back in 1964, the Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 21 sermons on the topic of spiritual depression. He was seeing how many Christians were spiritually depressed. In fact, the great preacher himself went through it. And so he looked at its causes. He looked at its, its cure in Christ. But today, a common problem, a common issue is spiritual insecurity. And I think there's probably three factors that contribute to it. And one is just the times in which we live. Just the age in which we live where there's uncertainty all over the place and there's an elevation of of personal experience over objective truth. There's personal experience as the arbiter of truth. And we're seeing left and right a demolition of, of all truth claims. So there's the time in which we live. That that contributes to spiritual insecurity. But there's also a second thing, a lack of knowledge of God. A lot of professing Christians don't know God as He has revealed Himself in the Word. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, God says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And then in Hosea 6, verse 3, There's an exhortation for us. It's, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. So you've got the time in which we live. You've got a lack of the knowledge of God. But the thing we're going to focus on today is is this. What also contributes to spiritual insecurity are inaccurate views of salvation. Inaccurate views of how God saves people. 
thinking that we determine our eternal destiny. If we think we determine it, we're always feeling insecure about it because we don't feel adequate. I mean, we are aware of the sin that so easily entangles us. We know that our desires carry us away. If we don't have a foundation built solidly on the doctrines of God's grace from Scripture, if we don't have a solid foundation of the sovereignty of God and salvation start to finish, we're going to start relying on ourselves and we're going to feel really insecure. Paul said it this way. He says, in the context of salvation, who, who is adequate for these things? And he says, he goes, we're not adequate in and of ourselves to think of anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is Christ. That's what I'm going to point you to today, that our adequacy is in Christ. That our security is rooted in Christ. Not ourselves. Not our deterministic choices. So if you're struggling today with with insecurity in your relationship with God, maybe you're plagued with doubts, maybe you're plagued with uncertainty, then a solid grasp of the two the first two links of the golden chain of salvation will help you. Well, today we're going to focus on two words. Two words in Romans 8:29. Foreknowledge and predestination. Now God foreknew and predestined believers. So I want you to open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to, I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. Because if you're preaching Romans 29, you better... Read Romans 28 and 30, okay? So if you can stand up with me, I would appreciate it. I'm just going to stand to honor God and his word. Stand in honor of God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace, for, for your love, for your mercy, for your presence with us now. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts. Your spirit would use your word in our hearts to, to change us, to comfort us, to, to conform us, even to challenge us, Lord. All for your glory, all for your magnificent glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, give the absolute best assurance. It gives insecurity vanquishing reassurance that's found in the entire Bible. And so we're going to dive deep today into into reassuring, confidence-building, security-reminding biblical truth of 
what God was doing behind the scenes before we ever existed. This is about what God was doing behind the scenes before we ever existed. And and what God is saying in these verses is, here's what I was doing before you existed so you could be secure forever. So you wouldn't have to You wouldn't have to wallow in in spiritual insecurity. You need to know what God did for you so that you would know the security that he has provided for you. That if you're a Christian, that God chose you. In love, he chose you and he decided to set his love on you in a saving way so that you would trust him, so that you would worship him forever. And so it is, it is to our blessing that we receive these truths. It is to our uh, magnificent, magnificent security. It is for our advantage that God has given us these truths, the knowledge of these truths, and, and we will see you know, this week and in following weeks, how they're connected and, and why it is so big to God. Why is this so important in the Bible? Why is this so big? So let's start at verse 29. It begins with the word for. For, it means because. And Paul is about to give the reason why all things work together for good to those who are called according to God's purpose. How God orchestrates and orders circumstances surrounding our lives to accomplish his purposes. So Paul is clarifying something. Paul is clarifying something so that we would grasp the truth that all things conspire together for our good because of God's sovereign plan. The good... It's not due to luck, it's not due to fate, it's not due to your moral superiority. It is due to God's good and sovereign will from eternity past all the way into the future. The secure and guaranteed good for those he has chosen. Now if you kind of wide angle it a bit here on these verses, God's purpose is being explained moving through five stages. There are five links in the golden chain of salvation we're looking at here, found in Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. Five acts that God ordained. Five things God does. And the first two, we're looking at the first two today. These are things that God was doing before we ever existed. So foreknowledge is the first. Believers were foreknown by God. The second is predestination. Believers were predestined by God. Now it's followed by calling. Believers were called by God. Then followed by justification. Believers were justified by God. And then followed by glorification. Believers were glorified. You know it's in the past tense there. And it hasn't even happened yet. But it's as good as already happened. It's like Jesus being called the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And this golden chain is charting the course from God's foreknowledge all the way to a believer's 
glorification. This is what we're looking at in the golden chain of salvation. James Montgomery Boyce said that these five doctrines are so closely connected, they have rightly been described as a golden chain of five links. Each link forged in heaven describes something that God does and does not waver in doing. These are God's acts. They don't change. You know, we decide to do something. We change our mind. We flip-flop. God doesn't. He decrees something. He decides something. And it comes to pass. 100% of the time. No error in God. John R.W. Stott called these five links five undeniable affirmations. You can't deny them. They're biblical. God affirms them. The context of this, if you go from Romans 8.28 all the way to Romans 8.39, the end of that chapter, the context is God's sustained security of believers. He's sustaining the security of believers forever. That's why we don't need to be insecure in Christ. So God's security here, God's provision of this security is being expressed in very intimate terms, very, very intense language. It's recalling the past. It's spelling out God's eternal purpose in love and, and the sacrifice of Christ. But then as you go through these five links, it shifts to the present and claims God's keeping power. And, and it, it's like you go through Romans 8 and it's sprinting down through the ages all the way into the future and it's defying any future power that might try to separate believers from the eternal love of God in Jesus Christ. Saying, you're locked out. There's no way you can touch my beloved. They are secure. Now, to fully grasp this, we really need to understand with assurance what God was doing beforehand, behind the scenes before we existed. God's eternal counsels, God's eternal decrees, the past determinations relating to salvation in Christ. So before we look at this though, before we look at the golden chain of salvation, first, a bold and unapologetic declaration is needed. So I want to make this bold and unapologetic an apologetic declaration, God is God. In Isaiah 45, 5 and 6, God says, I am God and there is no other. And he does whatever he wants. Psalm 115, verse 3, he does as he pleases. And what he does is good and right and true because he is God. And he is not at anyone's mercy or will. He acts wholly and fully independent of his own free and sovereign will and plan. He saves whom he will. And this is foundational to an understanding of everything in Scripture. But I also want to make a pastoral request. I want to give a pastoral exhortation. Really, I think that's needed. But I want to ask something of you. And it's a tough thing I'm going to ask of you. It's a tough thing for me to ask myself. And the reason I'm going to ask this is because there's not many neutral thinkers on, on this subject. Everybody's already made up their minds, decided, many people, they've said, I already know what I think about this, I will not change. You will have to like pry them from my, from my lifeless fingers. 
Many people have already made up their minds and decided not to change, and they're more concerned with protecting their view, whether it can be disproved biblically or not. And so here's what I know is pretty much true. When you hear what, what, what these, this verse says about God foreknowing and God predestining, you're either going to eagerly anticipate accepting what I preach and teach on it because you know where I'm coming from and you think I'm going to agree with you and so you're like, I- I'm going I'm to accept this. Or you're going to do this. You're going you're to eagerly plan to, to deny and debate what I preach and teach on it because you've already decided where you land and you think you know where I'm going and you don't want to go there and so you're going to deny it. And here's my prayer. My prayer is that our wills would be yielded to God's will. That's my, my prayer. I'm, I'm asking you to, to I'm, 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 I'm pleading with you to think deeply and to allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God in your life in such a way that you would hold the most biblical view. And by the way, if I didn't think I was going to give you the most biblical view today, I shouldn't be up here. I think you know me well enough to know I'm going to shoot it straight and I'm not going to probably round the edges too much and I'm going to say this is what I believe the Bible teaches about this. And we can have a discussion. But I didn't come to this passage saying, ah, I'm finally at the place where I get to give my opinion. (laughs) You stand up here with the Bible, you don't want my opinion. You want what does God mean when he said this? And so... I ask you to think deeply and allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God in your life in such a way that you would hold the most biblical view and let go of preconceived ideas and be open to let God speak to your heart via His Word. Receive the Word of God. Here's what we should say when we come to the Word of God. This is what God clearly says in His Word and I'm going to accept it regardless of my feelings, regardless of my long-held opinions if it doesn't line up. Because we should be wanting to dig deeper into the truths that anchor our souls and and give us spiritual security. We don't want to stay spiritually insecure. We want to explore ways that we can build ourselves up in our most holy faith given by God. So let's look at verse 29. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. You have two actions that God took in choosing us before saving us before we existed. God telling us what he was doing behind the scenes before we existed. Now let's look at the first link in the golden chain, foreknowledge. Foreknowledge, it's very misunderstood doctrine. It's made up of two words, for, which means beforehand, and knowledge. The Hebrew, what you've got is the word knowing, and it implies establishing an intimate relationship with someone. The idea is that God foreknows you. He knows you in a special way. It's the same word used in Hebrew for the relationship between a husband and wife, the most intimate of relationships. To know before, God took note of you. God appointed beforehand. God fixed his regard upon you. Believers were foreknown by God 
He knew you beforehand. That means he decided to put his love upon you in a saving way. This gives great security. This gives great confidence because God is so loving and kind. He decided to put his love upon us in a saving way. It points to God's loving relationship with his people. You see, God's calling is not by chance. It is calculated. It is filled with love. The Hebrew word to know, like in Genesis 18, 19, he speaks of Abraham and he says, I have chosen him. I know him. He doesn't just know facts about him. He knows him personally. In Hosea 13, 5, God says, I knew you. I knew you. I knew you. I chose you. Amos 3, 2, you only have I known. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. The Hebrew word for know literally means to take knowledge of with loving care. A parent with a child. To make the object of loving care or elective love. This is the sovereign act of God in fixing special attention on certain people, loving them in a saving way. It's the sovereign freedom of God knowing beforehand who will be saved because he chose whom he will save. So the normal biblical usage of the, of the verb know, it means this intimate relationship. It's not mental knowledge. Now I realize this is confusing in English, but it's interesting. If you speak a different language and you look up in your Bible in, in, in Chinese, even we did this after the first hour, someone looked up in Chinese and they're like, yeah, we have two words. We have two words here. There's a no relationally, there's a no in the facts. Spanish has the same thing. There's a to know relationally, to know the facts. In English, we just have no, and you have to figure it out. What, what is the context there? So we get a little confused here. Hebrew is not confusing here. It means to have an intimate knowledge of someone. And here's what the text doesn't say. What God knew before. Those whom he foreknew. And it doesn't say those whom he foreknew would believe. It doesn't say it. It's not God's knowledge about facts, but knowledge of people in a loving way. God's knowledge of people, knowing them in an intimate, saving way. So when Jesus says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, he's not saying I know what color you're wearing right now. He's saying, I know you because I chose you. I set my love upon you in a saving way. And we have to grasp the meaning of this word lest we twist the meaning of the verse. When God foreknows you, he sets his love upon you. His choice of you is based on his decision to set his love upon you, not his knowledge of what you will do. You're not the determiner. God is. Some people will say, well, you know, since God knows all things, and he does, he's omniscient, and he knows who will believe, he does, and he knows who will not believe, and so they explain this away, and they say, well, then he, he predestines to salvation those he foresees will believe. This is the man-centered way of explaining this verse. He foreknows or foresees faith. Now, this is not 
You know, God looking down the corridor of time. In fact, I used to hear this from people, and you've got to put a preachy voice on it. God looked down the corridor of time and saw what you would believe and chose you based on that. It's not God looking down the corridor of time and seeing what you would choose and choosing you based on his knowledge of your choice. And there's nothing in the Bible that gives us this idea. And by the way, I know I'm probably going to say this 15 different ways. Or maybe I'll say the same thing 15 different times. Because this is important. We don't want to dismiss this. This is, we're talking about God's electing decision. And by the way, it's crystal clear in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 2. In fact, go there with me and read, read let's read it. 1 Peter 1, 2. He's writing to the elect exile. So he's writing, you know, in those days you're writing a letter to someone, you're going to write it to who, who you are and who they are. He's writing to the elect, the chosen of God. And here's what he says in verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Okay? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So we're not just talking God's omniscience, that he knows everything. He does. He knows from eternity past who would come to Christ. What we're talking about here is God's sovereign choice to set his love on us and establish an intimate relationship with us. It's his choice from eternity. Ephesians 1 verse 4 tells us this. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us. God knew when he was the only one who knew. It was his idea, his plan, his initiating, his purpose, his will. You can look over in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. It doesn't even mention the word foreknowledge, but it illustrates it. He says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you, known you, to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth some weren't chosen and the lord this is what it says the lord set his love on you and chose you because he loves you because he loves you god's choice is based on his love god's choice is eternal not one ounce of human merit enters the equation we're called according to his purpose. And foreknowledge is part of God's electing purpose. Romans 8.29 does not tell us that God foreknew what we would do. He does foreknow what we will do. But it's not talking about human actions at all. It's speaking entirely of God and what he does. God did not, in foreknowing you, he did not foreknow your actions, he foreknew you personally in a loving way. God fixed a special attention upon you and loved you in a saving way if you're a believer. And by the way, if it only means, if it only means that God knows beforehand what people will do in response to him, the preaching of the gospel and then determines their destiny after that on that basis what could God possibly foresee as a response from us 
What, what would he foresee? He would see hatred. He would see enmity. He would see, he would see us fighting against him with every ounce of our being. What God would foresee is total hostility on our part towards him. Romans 3 tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So God would only foresee our unbelief. We should be so thankful that faith is a gift. The faith that God foresees is the faith that he creates. God's eternal foresight of faith is by his decree to generate that faith in all that he predestines to salvation. It brings us to the second link in this golden chain, predestination. I remember when I was younger, someone would come up to me and say, do you believe in predestination or free will? And, and as I went along and got to know the Bible, I'm like, those two are not in competition. It's not an either-or proposition here. Predestination, verse 29, predestined, predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Predestination is made up of two words, pre, meaning beforehand, and destiny or destination. means that you determine someone's destiny beforehand. You mark it out with a boundary beforehand you're you're appointed so foreknowledge means to fix one's love upon or elect someone predestination tells us that having fixed his love upon us god appointed us to become conformed to the image of his son that he might be that christ might be the firstborn among many brothers preeminent colossians 1:18 tells us that he is preeminent this should be the most security building truths that we learn. Predestination tells us this, that God does this, and, and, and here's how it flows. He foreknew us, he predestined us, he called us, he justifies us, he glorifies us. This is his process of his purpose. He, the, the believers were predestined by God. He chose us beforehand. He emphatically resolved to choose us for his particular purposes. God took these actions. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. We looked at this last week. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It was his idea. He chose it. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. And then it says this. We are predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's according to his purpose, and he is working all things according to the counsel of his will. He didn't have to ask anyone's advice before he did it. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit got together, had a discussion, decided it. God, one in will and purpose, did it. Now the, word, the Greek word for predestined is parizo, and it has in it the idea of a horizon. So you, you think about the horizon. You're looking out on the horizon, and it's this dividing line, right? And it it's marks things off. It separates what we can see from what we cannot see. One, one person put it this way, that um, this word, having the word horizon in it, signifies that God, having foreknown us, takes us out of the far-off category and puts us within the circle of his saving purposes. He's marked out a particular destiny for us. 
So predestination refers to determining the destiny, the goal, the, the end of something before it happens. God chose our final destination before we existed. The sovereign freedom of God in deciding beforehand who will be saved and who will not be saved. This is mysterious. But we don't just throw the mystery out because it's hard to understand. We really embrace it. God choosing or rejecting of humans, predetermining. God deciding to elect some to salvation and pass over others and, and leave them in their sins and punish them for their sins. That God chooses some to be saved and we know that all are not chosen. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, he says it to believers, okay? People that are trusting in the finished work of Christ. He says, God has chosen you from the beginning. This is giving them security. God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Because God's, God's decrees, God's foreknowledge and predestination is eternal. And it's unconditional. He didn't look ahead and say, well, they're going to sin and they're going to do this and that, so I'm not sure about it. They got to meet some conditions. And it's unchanging. Again, we make our minds up and we flip-flop, but God doesn't ever do that. And so it's effective. You look in the book of Acts and the apostles are preaching, they're preaching the gospel. Here's what we do. We preach the gospel to everybody. God knows those who's going to get saved. And here's what happens in the book of Acts. They're preaching the gospel left and right. And people are getting saved. They're believing in Jesus. And here's what it says in Acts 13, 48. As a result of the preaching of the gospel, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. There, the curtain is getting pulled back a little bit to see what God was doing behind the scenes before we existed. Foreknowledge and predestination have to do with God's eternal and sovereign choice of some people to salvation through Christ. It's known as election too. Again, a biblical term. Louis Burkhoff said this about it, God's eternal purpose to save some of the human race in and by Jesus Christ. Election is that eternal act of God whereby he, Burkhoff says, in his sovereign good pleasure and on account of no foreseen merit in them chose a certain number of people to be the recipients of special grace and of eternal salvation. Now some will say, and I, and I by the way said this earlier in my life, I said this, I would have been the one saying this, what about free will? Now here's what happens. People will, will go with free will and not even look at the facts and just go, what about free will? And assume a lot about it. What about free will? The first thing I have to tell you is, and I know it's an obvious point, is that there is nothing in Romans 8, 28 to 30, about the human will. It's not about, if, if, it's, if, it, if we were in the verse, it would be about our sin. Okay? There's nothing about the human will in these verses. Not that the human will doesn't exist. Oh, we know it does. But it doesn't ultimately determine our destiny. God does. So a lot of people will take it as a foregone conclusion without examining the facts that they have a free will to do anything they want. Now, in one sense, they're right. You do what you do. You do what you want to do. Anytime you please. You just you do stuff. You make choices all day long. You're not a marionette. You're not a puppet. You make choices all the time. You, you chose to get dressed today and make yourself look great and come on here. And you're here because you chose to be here. Now, you're not going to be kicked out against your will unless you get surly, right? You, 
I say this all the time. If you want Christ, you will have Christ. If you want to be saved by Christ, you will be saved by Christ. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and was buried and rose on the third day and, and is coming back with blessing for those who believe and you know you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and you, you want desperately for Jesus to save you from yourself, from your sins, you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But you will never want Christ until God changes your heart to want him rather than hate him. To say that the will is free without, dis, without qualification is not fully accurate. It isn't even intellectually honest. The will is not fully free in the spiritual realm. It is tainted by sin. And unless and until God regenerates a soul, it will never want Christ. Regeneration, biblically speaking, regeneration, being born again by the Spirit, precedes the exercise of faith. If you want to know more about this, Wednesday night, I'm going to be teaching uh, uh, Grace Bible Institute on uh, forgotten doctrines on free will and the will of man in salvation and the will of man in sanctification. But suffice it to say that God lovingly does as he pleases. He lovingly does as he pleases. And And a clear explanation of that is in John 6. Go over to John 6 with me. John chapter 6, a clear statement by Jesus of what God does in saving people. In verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 38, for I came down from heaven, Jesus said, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He didn't come to do our will, he came to do the will of the Father. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And then put your eyes down to verse 44. No one can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. God's decree of predestination is, con- is a concurrent act <laughs> on the part of the three persons of the Trinity who are one in counsel, one in will. And, and we'll get into Romans 9, which is very mysterious as well, but we get into Romans 9, we'll see it's similar. It doesn't depend on us, it depends on God who has mercy. We trust his mercy and his grace. He elects us unconditionally, meaning not based on foreseen conditions we would meet. Back in 1982, I, I, I heard the gospel. Now, I heard the gospel from pretty much 81 till the middle of 82. And I heard the gospel over and over and over again. And God finally broke through my stony, hard heart, who was pushing people off and saying, I'm not a sinner. Don't bring Jesus to me. And I, and I came to faith in Christ. The, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. I knew that God loved me. And I knew that God sent his son as the sacrifice for my sins. And I knew I was a sinner in need of a savior. That's what I knew. I didn't know God's plan for my life. I did not know what God had done beforehand, behind the scenes, to save me before I ever existed. 
but I do now. And I am so grateful for what God was doing behind the scenes to save me before, before I ever even knew. He, he marked me out. He, he put his saving love on me so that in 1982, I would come to faith in Christ. God does this. He's God. And, and what does God continue to do as you come to faith in Christ? He, he, you, he sovereignly and lovingly and kindly orchestrates, decides and leads and guides and works with us in our, in our failings, in our frail, frail attempts at trying to please him, gives us room to grow. Jesus, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 12 tells us, is the author and perfecter of our faith. The starter and finisher of our faith, he takes us from start to finish. Starts and finishes the work. So that old saying that goes like this, God casts one vote, Satan casts one vote, and you cast the deciding vote is wrong. It's not biblical. Salvation rests 100% on the grace of God. God did not decide based on, on your decision. He chose you because he wanted to. That's security building. Like, wow, God loved me that much that he wanted to do that for me, knowing everything he knows about me. We make the right choice to believe in Jesus because God chose us. I will illustrate it this way. I hope this works. I'll use the example of electronic devices, okay? And you probably, you may have been tempted or even looked at your electronic devices during this sermon already, and it's not sermon context. You're just looking, checking a score, checking an email, or sending someone a text. And by the way, I do the same thing when I'm not preaching, okay? Let's be honest, okay? Let's just be honest. We multitask, okay? All right, all right. But you've got your, your smartphone, your tablet, your computer, and all that, and, and chances are, take a wild guess here, you're somewhat addicted to those devices. Now, let's just say you're not. You're like, I don't own a phone or a computer. I am, you know, you're proud. Don't get proud. <laughs> if you're right now saying, well, I'm not like all these other people, there's something else you're addicted to. We're not just pointing it out, okay? <laughs> but you got your, your addiction to your devices, and, and you pick them up multiple times a day, and, and you're wanting to see things, and, and you don't realize, you spend all, all this time on them, but you don't realize how addicted you are to them until you can't find a signal, or you can't find a device, can't get Wi-Fi or something, and isn't it true, how many times we're in a room full of people and they're all looking at their devices? <laughs> God's timing is perfect. <laughs> Here's what we don't realize. Let me tell you what we don't realize. That our addiction to our electronic devices was actually premeditated by someone else. And I don't know if you realize, you can Google it, you can find out. People have as their job trying to figure out ways to get us more addicted to our, to our devices. Working around the clock. Now let me, let me just put it this way. For the best possible purposes. For the best possible purposes, God 
premeditated and preplanned your love for him. So when you believe, when you choose to follow, you do so because God gifted you with faith. God has left nothing to chance in his sovereign plan. He guarantees his saving work. It's not going to get foiled. It's not going to fail. If you feel like you're hanging by a thread right now as a believer, when you truly love the Lord Jesus, God has you. He's holding you. He's left nothing to chance. But here's the problem, and this is what causes our insecurity. At the heart of our sinful nature is, we want a say in the matter. We want our voice to be heard. Last time I checked, God didn't ask us for our vote. We have a stunted view of, of liberty, of justice, of reality. We deserved hell. And salvation is all of grace. Salvation, God gives you a new heart. To love him. Because he first loved you. We turn it around. We say, well, God loved me because I first loved him. No. First John says, we love him because he first loved us. And the reason why we are addressing foreknowledge and predestination is because Romans 8.29 does. They're biblical words. They mean something God-honoring, God-centered. And you know, when you learn and grow in Christ, you become more God-centered, not less. You become more God-dependent, not less. You become more aware of your sinfulness, not less. The Bible is God-centered. God saves us so that we would become God-centered. Monergistic is, the, is another word. Monergism means the work of one. The God-centered view of salvation. One person put it this way. The new birth is monergistic. It is a work solely of the Holy Spirit. Sinners do not cooperate in their spiritual births any more than infants cooperate in their natural births. So kids, here's how it went. You didn't participate in your birth. You were born. They cut the umbilical cord, and now you're here. That's a short version, by the way. Foreknowledge and predestination. This is like someone, long before they're married, long before they have kids, they want to start saving up for their future kids to give them an inheritance because they love the idea of God maybe someday granting them kids. God, God knew. God loved. He's so kind. We can be so hopeful. We can be so secure. Because what God does is so far beyond that. He's so loving and kind and gracious. But how does the world view God? Well, he's mean, he's vindictive, he's waiting to zap me in case I get out of line. You know how Islam looks at God? Well, that he's cold and, di and distant and capricious and unfeeling and unloving and detached from humanity. He can kick you out of paradise at, at, a, at, a moment's at no moment's notice. The God of the Bible is loving and kind and gracious and merciful and chooses according to his sovereign good pleasure. 
Spurgeon once said this. He said, you know, I'm glad that God chose me from before the foundation of the world because if he's seen me now, he wouldn't have chose me. I mean, we could laugh at that. It might be funny, but it's not the truth. No. God, knowing everything about you, knowing all the sins you would commit, knowing where you would be right now, knowing your need, chose you in Christ, set his love upon you in a saving way in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, this is true of you. This is what God was doing behind the scenes before you ever existed. And with news like this, how can we be insecure? Let's pray together. Lord, I'll be the first to admit that these truths crush my pride. But Lord, these truths, what you have done comforts our souls and gives us joyful assurance, gives us security, gives us strength and gives us a a desire to live a life pleasing to you, in dependence upon you, for your glory, without doubting your love. So Lord, I pray that for every soul that hears these words, that we would love Jesus, we'd know our security in him, all for your glory and honor. We pray in Christ's name, amen.